Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. Hey, we're talking about marriage. I did do this last week. I'm going to do it again this week. PG-13 warning. Uh, we're talking about marriage stuff. And sometimes that's hard for kids to hear. So uh, if you got some kids in the room, just a little bit, just a little glimpse. But uh, just wanted to give you that warning. Today we are talking about trust. And the truth is, trust is a good quality to have in any relationship. So if you're not married in the room today, it's not all lost or some things that you can glean from this, but it will be focused primarily on married people because the truth is there is no good marriage without trust. Eventually, things just fall apart and we start assuming things and we start going out on our own and without trust, things just fall apart. See, what happens in a marriage is two people agree to chain themselves together and they agree to tell each other everything, to do everything together. Now, ideally, before you get married, you have some good conversations where everything comes out in the open and, and we're totally honest with each other and we build our, our relationship based upon the truth, even the hidden stuff. But the reality is that in marriage, you say for better or for worse. You say we are chained together, and even if some stuff comes out that I didn't know before, even then, I'm still chained to you. That's the point of marriage. When you marry somebody, you say the words, I put my trust in you. I'll tell you my junk, and you'll tell me your junk, and we're stuck like this. Not that kind of junk. We're, we're together. No matter what, we are in this together. Okay, I need, actually, Shauna and Jode. Where'd Jode go? Did he just leave? He went to get coffee. Jode! He went to get coffee. I need another, Can I need a married couple, a brave married couple to volunteer for me. Yeah? You guys want to? He's, he's okay. I just need a, anybody, any, any married couple to volunteer. Anybody? Anybody? She's leaving too. She's out of here. Come on up. Oh, now we, I only need one of you. Now you got to fight for it. Arm wrestle. Who wants? Okay. Let the, all right, come up here. You picked a terrible time to come out. I, the sun, the light's in my eye and I could not tell if you were sitting in your chair or not. Yeah, come around. It's a very easy sermon illustration. Low, low pressure, nothing big. I just need, I need a little help illustrating this point. Okay, Jode, you stand here okay. and face that way. Shauna, you stand there okay. and face Jode. Okay. Jode, put your right arm out. My right arm out. This way, toward her. There you go. And hold this. Okay. okay. And then I'm just going to pull this around here, Shauna. Don't get scared. Yes, you may. Yes. All right, you can move forward. You, you just, there we go. Keep coming. All right. Keep, there we go. Yes. See, this is a marriage illustration. I told you. I like it. Yes. Yes, you do. I don't think she does as much. But. All right. So what happens in a marriage is you chain yourselves together. This, yes, this is a lock. 
Awesome. And this is a key. We'll keep that for later. You chain yourself together and you agree to tell each other everything and no matter what comes out, you're chained together. You're stuck there. In fact, scripture says this, confess your sins to each other. So you guys go ahead and do that and I'm going to keep going. So confess your sins to each other. No, uh, no, that's a very hard part of marriage. This open, honest, vulnerable, confessing, we do everything together. If I make a mistake, it affects both of us. If I make a good decision, it affects both of us. And it's important that within this relationship that you are equally yoked. Why? Because while we are chained together, we pray for each other so that you may be healed. Your sins need to be brought out in the open so that you can work on it together, deal with it together with your spouse. And the truth is, you're not going to tell the 100% honest truth to each other unless you're chained together right? If you're not chained together, you're too scared that if I tell you the truth, you're going to just run away. I need you to be chained to me so that I can be honest with you and we have to figure it out together. Our theme verse, you guys good? You good? All right, we're going to keep going. Our theme verse for the series is this. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. What's, what's the implication here? You're not chained to your father and mother. Leave your father and mother so that you can be joined to, chained to your wife, and the two become one, are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are, are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, as the wife must respect her husband. All right. So the, what happens is, we're getting more interesting. What happens is, in a relationship, you marry, you, you chain yourself to the person that you marry. So that means divorce is a bolt cutter. You guys are doing great. And divorce separates what God said should not be separated. Okay, give him a hand. Thank you, Dreamers. You're done. You can break your way out. And so what does God say about divorce? God hates divorce. God hates bolt cutters. He hates the idea of what was united, what became one being separated. The, the fact that God created marriage as a metaphor, as an illustration of our relationship with him means that if we are going to set a good example of what a relationship with him looks like, then it's never separated. There's no distance between these two people. These two people have become one person. That is why trust requires transparency. You know, God knows everything about you. He knows every time you've sinned against him. He knows your actions. He knows the words that you say. He even knows the thoughts in your heads. God knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you. And how does he treat you? What does he do? It, what happens to his relationship with you as a result of knowing you fully? As a result of that transparency? He loves you unconditionally. He knows all the dirty details. And he loves you unconditionally. This is what we are called to in a marriage. And the great marriages you know of, there is nothing hidden between them. No secrets, total transparency. 
So I would like to go through a few topics where we see a lot of hidden in marriage, a lot of hiding in marriage. We're going to talk about a few topics, and it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable because this is usually where couples feel tension in their relationships. Trust requires transparency in money. Whenever we are doing premarital counseling or marriage counseling, I always recommend that every couple or every married couple has joint finances. No separation. Not his money and her money. Not his stuff and her stuff. We, we, we have a lot of uh, couples struggling in their marriages, largely because he has her funds or her, his income and, sorry, he has his funds and his income and his bank account. And then he takes a certain portion of the bills and then she does the same. And then, but inevitably that's imbalanced. And so you've got tension that's created as a result of figuring out who's going to pay what and good luck trying to figure out a way to tithe in that situation. That almost never happens. And the truth is that just brings a lot of tension into a relationship that doesn't need to be there. Now, I do understand this is the general concept. This is not a, a promise that you must do this every single time. It's more a principle. But even if the case is there that you cannot have joint finances, I would say make sure that there is complete transparency in your finances. In other words, she needs to have full access to his bank account, and he needs to have full access to her bank account. No hidden credit cards. No hidden, hidden savings accounts. Total transparency. Because the truth is, statistics would prove that hidden finances kill marriages. This is just the reality of needing to have transparency in a relationship, and it's most profoundly true in finances. If he's got a gambling problem, she needs to see every little dirty detail about it. If she's spending too much money on Amazon, he needs to see every single penny spent. Total transparency. All right, let's talk about another, another one. Trust requires transparency on the internet. The internet is too tempting. Sexually, socially, financially. It is too tempting and too powerful for any of us, any of us, to have unfiltered, unmonitored access to it. That's too dangerous. You don't have enough self-control for that. On my electronic devices, I have Covenant Eyes. It's a program I highly recommend to you. You download it on all your devices, and it will regularly take screenshots of your screen and send it to your accountability partner. My wife gets a screenshot randomly taken of every single one of my electronic devices, and she can see whatever I am doing at all times. Total transparency. Nothing hidden. That's what marriage is meant to be. Nothing hidden. And I guarantee you that there, that makes a lot of you very uncomfortable because you have developed habits on the internet that you would never want anybody knowing about, especially your spouse. That is dangerous. That is a recipe for disaster. And it is not what marriage is meant to be. Trust requires transparency with alcohol or with any substance. Avoid ever drinking alone. Do not, this is a recommendation I make to people all the time. Don't drink in secret. 
Now, if you want to have wine with your husband or with your friends or whatever, great. I'm totally cool with that. But gluttony grows in secret. Alcoholism grows in secret. Don't develop any secret habits. You need transparency in all these areas of life. What about with sex? Yeah, that's right. Sex within marriage is supposed to be a beautiful, fun exploration between two people. And it is. We are supposed to be fully known by our spouse. Can I tell you something a little bit uncomfortable? Darcy, she might get mad at me. In premarital counseling, our counselor said, on your honeymoon, you should spend a lot of time exploring each other's bodies. How did we react? I was like, awkward. Just, but why did he say that to us? He was talking about transparency. This is, this is what's changing when you get married. You are one person now. His body is now hers, and her body is now his. This is what marriage is meant to be. I think he said it for two reasons. One, because he knew we would never look that good again, so might as well do it now. <laughs> Just kidding, babe. You look exact better. You look better. This, yeah. Second reason I think he said that was he wanted us to start a relationship knowing that there should be nothing hidden. We're not going to keep our clothes on during sex. We are going to be fully known by each other because transparent intimacy builds trust. When you get married, you metaphorically and literally move in together. The boundaries between us are completely removed. You know, we all have boundaries in life that we've built around our lives, property lines that we've built in our lives. You, you have a boundary between you and your neighbor. And these are healthy. These say, I will take care of my domain, you will take care of your domain, and don't let your domain affect my domain, right? We need the line between us. So if your neighbor's noise is coming across the property line, you got a problem. If the tree limbs from their trees come into your lawn, you got a problem. If their trash is making its way onto your property, if their weeds are growing across the property line, or worst of all, if their dang dog poop ends up in your lawn, there is hell to pay. No, but here's the problem. I don't own a dog, yet I regularly have to clean up dog poop. Why? There's something wrong with our world. <laughs> Control your dogs, people. We have boundaries for a reason. Because we make separate decisions. We have different priorities. It, we live different types. We, live, we have different lifestyles. And so we build boundaries to say, because we have different values, we have to separate. The point in marriage is that two people are becoming one. Our values have to unite. We have to agree. We have to come to compromise. We have to come to at least a compromise that we can both live with because the boundaries are gone. We are together. We are united. When Darcy and I bought our first house, it was a junky 
old, tiny little house. And we decided that we were going to update this house a little bit. We just here and there do a little bit. The problem is when you start updating a house, you do one thing and then you need to do all of it, right? So we walked in, we're like, this carpet is covered in disgusting dog stuff. And so we decided, okay, we're going to rip the carpet out and then we'll save up and we'll buy some new carpet. Well, the problem is we ripped the carpet out and we're like, you know, while the carpet's out, I think we need to scrape the popcorn stuff off the ceiling. So we scraped the popcorn stuff off the ceiling and then we're like, you know, while that popcorn's off the ceiling, the wall there, we could fix the drywall up above. We're going to remove the wall between the kitchen and the living room. And the dominoes started falling all through the house. We just demolished the thing. And then we realized, oh crap, we got to put it back together. In fact, it went even outside because our lawn had gotten totally overgrown by Bermuda grass, this terrible stuff they have in Kansas. It's like these shoots of grass that like go out and they go like a million miles long and just destroy everything they touch. And so we tried to plant new grass. It didn't work. Tried to rip up the Bermuda grass. It didn't work. So we we're finally like scorched earth. We're going to dig up the lawn. So we go outside and Darcy and I, not with some fancy rototiller, but with shovels, dig up our entire lawn to remove all the Bermuda grass to get rid of. We were, we were naive, dumb kids is what we were. It's a bad idea. I don't recommend it. So what happens when you've destroyed your house and dug up your lawn? your neighbors get mad. In fact, our next door neighbor, who was uh, a veteran, a very stern dude, uh, rolled his own tobacco type guy, like just like, you know, that type. And he starts yelling one day, what are you doing? And he was right. We had made a mess that we didn't know how to clean up. And there was a fight. We were a little bit apologetic, probably not as apologetic as we should have been, and there was a fight. Well, we lived there a few years, and the, the reality is, with the way we, our cul-de-sac was, is like we were on top of this guy, like right next, it was a tiny little property. And so we're right next to this guy, we got to figure out something to do. So Darcy and I start trying to do better. We try to clean up the lawn, we plant grass, eventually the grass grows. Darcy bakes him some cookies. We had them over for dinner, and eventually, after a while, we built a relationship. We became friends with this person where trust was broken, but over time, it was rebuilt. This is the truth about trust. Rebuilding trust takes time. In your marriage, trust has been broken at some point, in some way. If you've been married for any significant period of time, trust has been broken. And what is necessary for trust to be rebuilt. It takes a lot more work to rebuild the trust than it was to have it in the first place. And so you go through the long, painful journey of rebuilding trust. But here's the truth, Christians. We are commanded to give trust before it is earned. We are commanded to forgive quickly and to get, forgive relentlessly to give grace, to not hold mistakes over their head, to not hold a grudge. This is the generosity of forgiveness that we are commanded to give. Paul told the church in Ephesus, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God 
through Christ has forgiven you. What's our example? Our marriage example is God and us. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. This is the truth about your marriage. If trust has been broken, one person is going to have to forgive while the other person is still sinning. It's not where they should be yet. That's what God did for us. He led the way. He took the first step. He gave grace that was never earned. If trust has been broken in your marriage, somebody is going to have to give some unearned grace. It's going to have to forgive faster than what the world would forgive. We give grace. That's who we are. The problem is most people wait to forgive until they feel like forgiving. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not an emotion. If you follow your feelings, if you follow your emotions, you're never going to do what you need to do. We choose to do hard things. We sacrifice. We give up what we want for what is right. Don't trust your feelings. Most people think that marriage is all about feelings. This is the fake, screwed up American version of love where I just have to get what, I, what feels good and what I want. And When the purpose of marriage is to make you feel good, watch out, divorce is coming. Because there are going to be plenty of times in your marriage when you do not feel good about the marriage or you do not feel good about the relationship you are in or the person you're married to. Feelings are a roller coaster of selfishness. We do not follow our feelings. Instead, marriage is an opportunity to sacrifice for someone else. Not get what I want, but to give even when it's painful. Because in marriage, you're not neighbors anymore. You have moved in together. You are united. So you got to deal with stuff together. You don't just have to deal with the issues that are your issues. And you don't only have to deal with the issues when they sneak over the fence. You've got to deal with all of the issues. We all have issues. But the good news is marriage gives us a partner to deal with those issues. If we're transparent, if we have trust, if we have common values and a common purpose, we can solve the problems together. And that's why the truth is disagreement can actually build trust. You would assume that most marriages that come in for marital counseling are the couples that have a lot of conflict and the happy marriages don't have much conflict at all. That's not true. Often couples that have more conflict have healthier marriages. Why? Because it's not the number of conflict or the amount of conflict that you have. It's how you communicate within the conflict. It's how you come to compromise. It's how you figure out how we as a joint person, as a united person, can solve this problem together and not just how one individual wants to solve the problem. And these compromises make us stronger. John Gottman says that 69% of conflicts and marriages are never resolved. They go all the way through marriage, still having the exact same conflicts that they had in the beginning. Still wrestling with the same disagreements, the same problems, and he's got this habit and she's got that habit and that annoys him and that annoys her. Most conflicts are never resolved. But the successful Couples 
have an ongoing conversation about how we live within this disagreement. You come to compromises. For example, if she is organized and he is not, you come to a compromise that allows her to take the lead in organization. If he is a spender, then they create a budget that gives him to spend within boundaries. They come to a compromise. And our strengths and our weaknesses actually help each other. So it's not a disagreement. It's not conflict that causes problems. It's the inability to compromise from within our conflict that causes problems. Compromises strengthen a marriage. If the conflict was not there, then you would have fewer opportunities to strengthen the marriage. But this requires trust. We trust that our values will align. And when our values align and our goal is the same, then we can compromise on the steps in the meantime. Trust is one reason why it is so important for us to be equally yoked in our marriages. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. That's harsh. He says, be equally yoked. What's a yoke? A a yoke was a device that would connect two oxen or two animals together so that they could have more strength when they were tied together, when they were chained together. This is the beautiful thing about marriage. When we are tied together, we have more strength. We have more ability to accomplish things. The problem is what happens when one of the ox is weaker or is smaller than the one that he is yoked to? What happens? They end up going in circles. The smaller one draws back the other one and they end up just going in circles over and over again because they're tied together. Your actions affect my actions. This is the truth about marriage. If one person is tied to the other person yet moves slower, the marriage can only move as fast as the slower person wants to move. And if one person just keeps moving while the other one holds back, you just end up going in circles. Paul says, how can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? It sounds harsh to to say, but scripture is overtly clear. Christians marry Christians. It increases the odds that your values will align so that when you are working toward a goal, you can have reasonable compromises that will help you get to the goal because your values align. If our values are not aligned, then we are aiming at different goals. We have a different finish line. And within marriage, we are designed to have a shared purpose. Because when a marriage is struggling, if a couple has a shared purpose, a common purpose, then that becomes their focus. Not the conflict. That's not the focus. The conflict is just the reality of what's happening on the way to the goal. So what's your shared purpose? Maybe you're building a business together and that can allow you to team up when you're frustrated with each other. Maybe it's kids that you are raising. This is the most common one. It's the reason why divorce creeps into the conversation every time kids are getting close to moving out of the house. 
is because for so long, the married couple has relied on their shared purpose of raising their kids as the, as the foundation of their relationship. That when the kids are no longer in the home, the relationship falls apart. Maybe it's a hobby that you have with your spouse. The problem with all of these, and they're good, those are good shared purposes, but the problem with them is that they're short-lived. They're temporary. Your business is not going to be there forever. Your kids will eventually move out of the house. You're going to lose interest in a hobby. So ultimately, you need more than just some temporary shared purpose. You need an eternal shared purpose. Faith in Jesus is a shared purpose that can carry a marriage forever. There is incredible unity in that. The longevity that comes with a spiritual purpose works better than any other shared purpose. And don't we all want that? The truth is, if you are married or you're pursuing marriage, that's really what you're after, is that kind of unity. Is that kind of teamwork, that kind of love? When you really know someone, when you know what makes them tick, what gets them excited, what makes them nervous, who they enjoy being around, what they enjoy doing, when you get to know them like that, your ability to accomplish things together is beautiful. So let's get stronger in that way. Build trust by seeking to know each other. This is what we want. We want someone who really knows me. And not just knows me, but knows me and still loves me. Who knows my dirty secrets and isn't running away. So how do we get to know each other like this? I think couples often get out of the habit. This is what we do a lot in marriage counseling. They get out of the habit of asking each other open-ended questions. Everything is just details. Everything is just getting the details out of the way so that we can do something else. So we're only partners. We're not united. We're just an agreement. So one way to continue to build this kind of knowing is to ask open-ended questions, to continually get to know the person you're in relationship with. You ask open-ended questions, not... After first service, Stefan came up to me and he's like, an open-ended question? Like, what's wrong with you? Not that kind of, not that kind of. You ask an open-ended question like, what's it like being a mom right now? What's the hardest part about it? Maybe she asks him, how, do you still like your job? Do you feel like you're still doing the right thing? You ask an open-ended question like, how can we make our lives run more smoothly? How can we make our families run more smoothly? How can we improve our house or our home together? You ask open-ended questions, and then you don't, guys, we don't solve all her problems. It's not like you're asking questions so that you can fix her. You're asking questions so that you can get to know each other. It's a relationship-building exercise. So the goal is not solving a problem. The goal is building a relationship. Ask an open-ended question. So, you, gave, you, were got, you got some homework when you came in. That's the let's go card for today. I'll put it up here on the screen for those of you watching online. There's two sides to it. If you're married or unmarried, half of you are not married. And so I recognize this is, you have to do one more step to figure out how to apply all of these concepts to your life and in, in your relationships. But 
I'm going to read the homework for the married couples. This week, ask your spouse three open-ended questions without giving any negative feedback. Without saying, this is why you're wrong. You ask the question, and then you have a conversation. A back and forth, not a one-way conversation. We talked last week, be slow to speak. Slow to speak. We're asking questions. We're seeking to know. We're building trust. We're building a friendship. We're moving past, past hurts. We're moving past frustrations. We're getting optimistic about the future. We're giving each other the benefit of the doubt. We're forgiving quickly. Why? Because we are chained together and it is both of our responsibility to solve our problems together, to come to compromises. So that's the practical step. Ask some open-ended questions. God, I thank you that you set this great example for us. God, I pray that we would stay united with you, chained to you, even when we have doubts and temptations creep in. God, I pray that you would make our marriages like our relationship with you, relentlessly graceful. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning, so we desire to give new mercies every morning. God, I pray for everybody here who is in a struggling marriage, that you would give them the courage to continue to do hard things, not to do what's easy, not to do what feels good, but to sacrifice like you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.